For those of you who don't know me, I'm Peter Marks. I'm one of the promoters at Rhythm Nation, along with Lincoln Heath and Matt McFerrin. Rhythm Nation is an event series and podcast that gives progressive organizations, organizers, initiatives, and candidates a platform by bringing people together through music. And promoting mu music events is actually how I got my start in community organizing. It's it actually is kind of a, a form of community organizing if you think about it. You know, the hustle of trying to of handing out flyers, getting people to an event, making sure they have a good time. That was really kind of the start of it for me. So this is this uh, this podcast and this this event series really does explore that intersection. Um, this is our third music and activism event that has been live streamed from Holocene, and I just want to shout out Holocene and say we're grateful for you being willing to give us in these issues a platform. Thank you, Holocene. And you know, we're thinking of, of everybody um, on, on staff at Holocene, all the artists who support Holocene during these, these crazy times. It's, it's a really tough time for the event industry. And um, I just wanna make sure folks know that you can, you can donate to, to, uh, to Holocene and, and, the, and the staff and the artists throughout this event. So keep an eye out for that. But tonight we're, we're talking mostly about Medicare for all. And it's a, it's a serious issue. Um, it's, it, it can feel a little bit strange to dovetail that with, with a kind of party atmosphere, but really like that's, that's what we need to do to, to raise awareness for this really important issue. Because a lot, things just get lost in this climate and it needs to be talked about. And we also need like a, a fun relief during these crazy times of COVID. So that's, that's why we're here. That's why this event is happening. But Medicare for all, I, I personally view this as one of the great moral issues of our time. And we'll hear from our panel about the unjust inequalities that this has created by our current healthcare system. But I wanna start just by putting out some numbers to put in perspective what's happening around us today. So in the next day or so, we're gonna reach the sobering total of half a million American deaths from the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a staggering amount. And we as a community have made tremendous social and economic sacrifice to prevent this number from being even higher. And we should be feeling good about that. However, we should also keep in mind that the absence of Medicare for all is killing the same amount of Americans, half a million, about every seven years. And that figure comes from a 2020 study at Yale. And that study goes on to say that the absence of Medicare for all is also costing Americans over $3 trillion over the same period of every seven years. The lack of Medicare for all, our dysfunctional system, it's basically a pandemic scale disaster that we face every seven years. And this is a crisis that's entirely avoidable, and yet we are given all kinds of excuses for why it has to be this way. The establishment asks us how we pay for it, conveniently ignoring the trillions wasted by our current system. The establishment tells us that candidates who run on this issue are unelectable when the vast majority of Americans support Medicare for all. The establishment tells us that this is radical when it's a proven model that consistently yields better outcomes and lower costs in every major country that has this. The establishment tells us that we should just shut up and settle for a public option. When the public option will not necessarily address the fundamental problems and inequalities of our current system. There are a ton of frustrating national narratives around this issue, but rather than complaining about something we have little control over, we're going to focus on local actions that we can make together tonight. This night is gonna to be about taking action. 
after this panel discussion, we're gonna be talking a little more about that. So single payer healthcare is perhaps most likely to be implemented on a state level first, which is actually what Canada did before it rolled out a national system. Oregon, along with California and Washington, Oregon can be one of the first, if not the first state to provide healthcare to all its residents. Just like it was the first state to vote by mail in 1995, the first state to decriminalize cannabis in 2014, and as of the first of this month, the first state to decriminalize drug possession and reinvest in drug rehabilitation. It's an amazing accomplishment that we did with Measure 110. And it should make us feel emboldened to, to bite on bigger things as, as a state. And there's already significant momentum in Oregon towards single-payer healthcare. In 2019, the Oregon State Legislature created an industry independent task force to evaluate how a single payer system would work in our state based on a set of values and principles. And this report is due by June of this year. So this is very timely that we're talking about this right now. And tonight we've assembled a panel of Medicare for All leaders from across the state to discuss the current strategy to guarantee health care for all, for all Oregonians in the next few years. We're gonna talk for a little less than an hour and then together, as I said, we're going to take collective action by reaching out to our government representatives and friends about this issue. And while we take this action, we're going to enjoy a live stream dance party from Holocene with musical performances from Theory Hazard and Jay Flip. So without further ado, I'm gonna introduce our panel. Um, so first we have Travis Nelson. Travis works as a full-time uh, as a union representative where he advocates for fellow registered nurses and fights for social justice. In 2020, he had the honor of serving as co-chair of the Democratic, or, uh, the Oregon delegation to the Democratic National Convention. Travis is also a member of the Urban League, the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, the NAACP, and is a board member for Nurses for Single Payer. Um, Travis, I have a specific question for you. As a frontline medical worker, what motivates you to fight for Medicare for all amidst everything that's going on in this pandemic? Yeah, well, uh, Peter, um, COVID-19 has just exacerbated everything that we already knew when it comes to the deficits in our system related to uh, uh, healthcare. Um, I went into nursing school because I care about people. And over the years, I've watched a lot of people die, both personally and professionally from illnesses that they um, that, that they shouldn't have had to die from, illnesses that shouldn't have been life-threatening had they been caught earlier or treated earlier. Um, today would have been my own father's 63rd birthday, but he died a couple years ago from an illness that would have likely been easily treatable, but he waited too long to go to the hospital and died from complications as a result. Uh, he was middle class, he had insurance, um, lifelong union member, um, but he waited in part because he was concerned about healthcare costs. And it's because of that story and stories like those, why I fight so hard for Medicare for all. Uh, additionally, I know we can provide healthcare to everyone and yet we choose not to do that. Uh, uh, additionally, I believe that Medicare for all would help to narrow the racial disparity gap in healthcare. Um, if people didn't have to worry about co-pays and worry about, you know, whether they should actually go, go to the hospital or, or if people didn't have to wait too long. We know that people of color oftentimes wait much longer um, to go to the hospital to be 
and find out later in the progression of diseases such as cancer um, that, um, that, that they actually have a disease process and end up dying at higher rates as a result. And no one should ever die because they can't afford to pay for their health care in this country. There's just too much money in America. Well, thank you for sharing that story, Travis. I'm, that's that's an incredibly tough thing to, to lose a family member knowing that it didn't have to be that way. And I think that just underscores how unjust our current system is. Um, next panelist I want to introduce is Valdez Bravo. Valdez is Vice President of Healthcare for All Oregon. He's a lifelong public servant with over 20 years in the healthcare industry. Valdez works as a healthcare administrator for the Department of Veterans Affairs and is a first-generation college student who grew up in a, fall, in a small farm outside of Salem and as an army veteran who served in Afghanistan and a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA. He's also served on a variety of organizations committed to providing a more equitable future. Um, Valdez, it's an honor to have you here. As a healthcare administrator, what, what motivates you to fight for Medicare for All? Thank you, Peter. And again, thanks for uh, including me on this panel and for getting the word out about uh, Medicare for All and Healthcare for All Oregon in this way. You know, uh, I joined the Army right out of high school, and I had the luck of picking a job that um, was in healthcare. It was medical equipment repairman. It sounded like a cool job, sounded like something I could make some money with uh, after my eight years in the Army. And so um, when I joined the military, you know, uh, what they trained us was as a medical equipment repair tech, your job is to make sure that the doctors and nurses and everyone has the equipment they need to take care of those patients and to imagine that it's your uh, loved one on the other end of that medical device that you're supporting to make sure that they get the best care possible. And so really it was all about just supporting that mission, making sure taking care of patients. And I, as a healthcare administrator now, you know, 25 years later, um, serving at senior levels in the VA, like that is my same um, true north. I want to make sure that I get the best care possible to as many people as possible within you know, the VA. You know, you have your fixed, you know, cost constraints and there's a whole healthcare model of cost quality access and you can't have all three. So, um, but with, if you take the budget side out of it, cost at uh, quality and access and my job, I go to work every day to make sure as many people as possible, get the highest quality healthcare. My fellow veterans get the highest quality healthcare in the, in as quick as possible when they need it. And the thing I love about the VA um, is that there's no profit motive. I mean, it is really all about people, you know, people over profits. It, it's just outcome driven. We want to do the best possible, whatever that patient needs, um, either at the primary care level or at specialty care, or whatever, we are going to make sure we get that regardless of their ability to pay. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a veteran, we got your back and we're going to take care of you. And I was so lucky that um, growing up, you know, I'm uh, part Native American. So I was able to go to Indian health services as a kid, even though my family was poor. And because as I had that right as a Native American. Um, later on in the army, I was serving. Uh, didn't matter what happened to me, I could have got the best care anywhere because I happened to be a soldier. So I got military, uh, military healthcare. In the VA, I'm a veteran, I had that same care. So I've always had this healthcare as a right because of certain statuses, but in America, so many people fall through the cracks because of their employment status or their ability to pay or uh, demographics or they're in an underserved area and they don't get the healthcare. And as Travis said, in the richest country in the history of the world, the fact that we have so many people that can't access healthcare, they just like either can't afford it or it's not the area they live. Um, that's what motivates me as a healthcare administrator. My goal is to get the most, the best care to the most people possible on an everyday basis. And I want that for everyone in Oregon and for everyone in the U.S. There, there's no reason that we can't 
have universal health care for everyone here in uh, in the states. So that's what that's what motivates me to do this work and serve as vice president of healthcare for Oregon. I appreciate that clarity you bring, Travis, or sorry, Valdez, rather about about how this should be the function of healthcare. It should be to serve people and focus on that and not be profit driven. Um, the next guest I want to introduce is Elise Dixon. Elise is a graduate student clinician in speech language pathology and is born and raised as a Portlander. Elise is a student healthcare worker and a theater artist, and she's part of Portland DSA's Medicare for All campaign. Um, Elise, thank you so much for being here and, and also for your, your great work with the DSA raising awareness for this. Um, if you've seen any of uh, the DSAs, Medicare for All, social media, um, that's, that's Elise doing that. She made some amazing content for this event. Um, Elise, as a student who I hope is you know, not yet burdened by large medical bills, you know, what, what motivates you to fight for Medicare for All? Yeah, well, um, you're right. I don't have large medical bills yet, and I'm lucky enough to still be able to be on my parents' insurance. But growing up, I've seen, you know, my peers as we've moved through school, as children, as adolescents, as young adults, um, really, really struggle with um, their parents' insurance status rapidly changing and the, the fear that that can bring and the trauma. And then now working in healthcare. So I'm doing my final clinical rotation of graduate school. Um, and I'm working at a skilled nursing facility doing post-acute rehab. So I, with speech language pathology, we do rehabilitation for speech, swallowing and uh, cognition predominantly. So I work with a lot of people who have had some sort of neurological event, a brain injury, a stroke, um, or some sort of progressive neurological disease, such as Parkinson's or a form of dementia. And so working, so most of the people I work with are over 65 and are on Medicare. And I feel really proud of the services that we provide. But, um, but also most of the people that I work with, you know, these same conditions that we work on rehab for brain injury, you know progressive neurological diseases can happen to anyone and they can happen really young. Anyone can get a brain injury. Um, MS and ALS both happen far before you hit 65 usually. And um, so, and so I know that the services we provide for this are so, so important in determining um, in setting people up for the rest of their life. And in the case of, um, in the case of progressive diseases and learning to manage and live alongside this, uh, this diagnosis, and then in the case of a sudden event like a brain surgery or a brain injury, then in the rehabilitation. And so I really believe that everyone should have access to that. And it's really frustrating to me, you know, being so excited to start my career in this field that I really love and I'm really passionate about. And knowing that my ability to help people is being limited by, you know, the unnecessarily cruel nature of the United States healthcare system. And um, also, you know, in graduate school and prior to that, and then looking ahead to my professional life, you know, I'm held as a rehabilitation specialist, I'm held to the standards of evidence-based practice. So what I work on with my clients is um, the rehab work that I do with them has to be based in science, it has to be based in research, it has to be based into what we know works. And it also has to be 
uh, informed by what I'm seeing clinically. So if I'm seeing that I'm trying a, a, um, a form of therapy and a client isn't responding, then I have to try something else, right? My job is to help these people. And so, you know, zooming out and looking at the US healthcare system writ large, it feels like a really natural extension of my work to notice that the US healthcare system uh, is not particularly evidence-based. We spend more money on healthcare than any other country in the world, and we are not near the top in terms of outcomes. And that luckily there is a ton of evidence on what does work because there are lots of other countries whose healthcare systems um, produce much less waste and provide much better care. And I really believe that a single payer model is the best way to do that. And that's not just my personal belief at what the research tells us. And I'm excited to talk about how that could look at a state level today in terms of starting out implementation. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. And yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, Elise. Um, I want to introduce our last panelist, Tony German. Tony is a family medicine doctor providing care in the Woodburn and Silverton area. And Tony came to discover the promises of single payer through his studies in economics and healthcare policy during his public health studies. He's a fierce advocate for single payer and a board member of Healthcare for All Oregon. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for being here. As, as a doctor in, the, in a more rural part of the state, what motivates you to fight for Medicare for All? Yeah, thanks, Peter. And, and, and it's great to be here with everybody tonight and enjoying Rhythm Nation kind of be able to get into the weeds and talk a little about this very important issue, which everybody has started us out in, in great. Um, I'd like to take a moment, actually, you know, Zoom calls are kind of funny nowadays, and so they're not as participatory. So one, I think this is a valuable question, what motivates us, but I also want to begin with a challenge to all those on the event tonight to, to think about this question for yourself personally. Fundamentally, health is uh, uh, incredibly critical to all of us, and uh, we need good health to work. Uh, we need to have fun tonight and enjoy the great tunes we're going to uh, listen to this evening. Uh, we need uh, health that allows our children to learn and ultimately keep us safe. And uh, I want the group tonight to think about how this healthcare system has served you. Um, think about the, the, the problems and challenges that, you know, just our, our colleagues here have talked about already and, and what that has personally affected your life, just as Travis talked about with his family. And I want us to imagine uh, what some of those barriers to the care that you or that someone you loved or someone you were close to uh, has experienced. Um, um, let's talk about perhaps it was a family member or a friend, uh, just as Travis brought up, who delayed care uh, because they were concerned with their co-pays, uh, with their deductibles. Perhaps they're uninsured. Um, uh, maybe they waited uh, before they went to the, their provider and, and suffered some significant consequences to, to that decision. And we're seeing more and more of that, and the studies are just um, uh, a front and center. Um, maybe you are under 27, like Elise, and so you're thinking about, you're coming off your parents' um, uh, coverage, and you're thinking about um, uh, kind of those next steps uh, as far as coverage, and, and think about, uh, and probably a number of younger people on this call, and I think that's something to think about. Maybe you lost your job during this pandemic, and this health system left you out on a limb. And after this evening, you might remember a few things of what we discussed, but I think the question uh, of what motivates us personally is incredibly important. Um, for any issue that drives us to action, 
we need to look at what motivates this person because that's what's going to continue to push us. You know, I, I think about my patients, I think of everybody, um, but I think that also is the, the fire that keeps us going and, and what we're going to create change and action. So keep that personal story uh, after tonight. Brainstorm that, think through that. So healthcare is particularly close to my heart. It's, it's my gig. You know, it's what I do in day in, day out. And uh, what motivates me regarding this issue, to be honest, again, is it's my kids. It's my wife, it's my parents and, and family, it's my friends. And, and I work hard to make sure that the community I work for is, is safe and, and we're doing the best we can for them. Um, I'm in this because I find this system, if you will, um, uh, incredibly frustrating. And I think it's hazardous to all of our health. Uh, I've been working on this issue for well over 15 years, um, starting back when I was an EMT in the ER um, and as a desk clerk and, and seeing patients that came in uh, and the struggles that they had. So again, I'm in this issue because of my patients and it's, the, it's why I fight for Medicare for all. I've had a, a difficult past couple of days, about four days ago, I, I lost a, a dear friend of mine, a patient of mine. He's a gentle soul and a very kind-hearted man whom I'm going to miss. Um, he did not pass from COVID. He died quite literally from poor access to health care, in my humble opinion. And you know, when we write on a death certificate for a patient, uh, we put on there the attributable causes of death. And on his death certificate, I believe the first line item should be lack of health insurance. Uh, I've worked in rural underserved Latino community and Woodburn for nine years now. And there's not a day that goes by that I'm not thankful for this opportunity as most of my patients have nowhere else to go. And uh, in that clinic, I, I get to help my patients and I get to continue the mission and what I jumped into this profession to do. Uh, the reason I advocate for Medicare for All is that I fundamentally believe it is the best solution and the pathway for my patients and all of us to have better health and more freedom. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about freedom of security. What, what is health insurance supposed to do? It's provide security, right? It's um, pooling all of our risks, saying that we're all in this boat together because we are in this boat together as this pandemic has demonstrated clearly, you know, the health of one person um, uh, uh, across this country is, is the health of all of us, right? Uh, we're doing all these interventions and all this because of it. Uh, and that's infectious disease, but it also comes down to all the other things we see when patients present to the ER, ER um, uh, when they have nowhere else to go. Um, and we're paying for that. We would have the freedom to choose our own providers rather than the insurance companies dictating our limited provider network. So. You know, a lot of criticism regarding that this is going to take away our choice. And I would argue we have no choice now. Um, you know, Medicare for All would give us the freedom to, to leave our jobs and start up as entrepreneurs or, or seek maybe a different employment. Right now we're tied. 50% of Americans, the majority of us here tonight, have health insurance, largely based on our employment. Um, uh, Medicare for All would give freedom for small businesses to relieve themselves of the growing weight of increasing insurance premiums for their employees that they're, they're covering. Um, you know, we've seen that, you know, even just a family plan for employers, the cost has gone up by 55% uh, in the last 10 years. 
And so what have wages done for this country? And, and you're all too familiar with this as the progressive movement, knowing that, you know, wages have stagnated, wealth has stagnated, and yet these premiums are encroaching. And so our employer-based insurance was well up to three quarters, uh, and now we're down to 50%. And we're going to continue to see encroachment on that as people are unable to do it. And we move them over to the patchwork um, of the um, piecemeal uh, uh, insurer products that we have out there, whether that's um, uh, from commercial insurance or whether that's the Medicare or Medicaid, um, we're seeing with that. So, you know, Medicare, it's simple. It's elegant. And uh, I want our lives to be less complicated. I want better health for less money and to be more efficient. And I want it for all of us. And I want nobody out and I want everybody in. And that, that's why I'm uh, in this fight. And I'm a Healthcare for All board member. And that's what I fight for my patients every day. Well, that's, yeah, that's a comprehensive list of, list of reasons, man. There really is just so much that would be fixed if we had this system. I think one thing I, I sense a lot of folks are hung up on, like, is this, is this worth our time fighting? Like, okay, I believe it's, it's the best system, but like, didn't we just have this debate a year ago in the Democratic primary, like the people who said they wanted the single payer, you know, they lost, like, are we doing this public option thing? Isn't that the plan? Why should we continue pushing for single payer when a public option seems possible on both the federal and seemingly the state level? What what do you say to those who argue um, that we should just settle for the public option, at least at least for the near term? Like maybe we'll maybe this will like public option will like help us get to this better solution. Um, I'm curious, at least I know you've you've done some thinking on this. What are your thoughts as for you know, whether it makes sense to settle for a public option? Yeah, I'm happy to speak to this. Um, the short answer is that. I do not think it makes sense to settle for a, a public option. And I'll tell you more about why. It does not make so sense economically, socially, or politically. So economically, a public option, one of the things that's great about single payer is that by consolidating health insurance into one payer, you cut out a bunch of the administrative costs. Right now, um, of every healthcare dollar spent in the US, I believe about I think it's 31%, but it's about a third goes to administrative overhead, which is uh, four times what Canada spends per, per physician on a, um, administrative costs. And part of that is the billing and all the different payers. And whatnot. So we are essentially, Americans are essentially paying for a single payer system. We could easily cover the cost of a single payer system um, nationwide or at the state level, uh, but we're not getting the benefits. And so we still have these really, really high rates of uninsured and underinsured people. Um, and then we still have this sort of collective societal um, fear of losing insurance and people getting stuck in jobs and stuck in marriages um, and, you know, missing out on preventative care because of healthcare costs and because of um, uh, the predatory nature of insurance companies. So it does not make economic sense to do a public option. A public option alongside our current um, uh, system would be actually more expensive instead of less expensive as a single payer would be. So it is not, does not make sense. And then um, on, a, on a social level, it would not, part of the thing that we, you know, some of uh, 
other folks here spoke to, especially Travis, is that um, Medicare for all would be a really, really powerful force for um, uh, social justice and sort of an equalizing force in society. And, um, you know, we know that uninsurance, underinsurance, and poor health outcomes are really concentrated among people of color and, um, you know, people who face other forms of systemic oppression. And so we, a public option would not remediate that in the same way that single payer would. A really good example of that is South Africa. Um, in South Africa, their private option, their private health insurance system is fantastic. It's one of the best in Africa, but their public option is really, really poor and produces really poor outcomes. And so um, their private option predominantly uh, insures white South Africans and the uh, the public option predominantly serves and underserves Black South Africans. So it's functionally an extension of apartheid, much as um, much of the current American healthcare system. In many ways, you see the, my spoon. Um, you see the reverberations of Jim Crow, and certainly a redlining. Um, and so we should not be settling for a public option. For that reason. And finally, even for people who are insured and who do, you know, like their current and ins private insurance, um, uh, having those people would also benefit from moving to single payer, even though not everyone, you know, there's this cultural idea of this cultural fear of losing insurance because it, it can kill you and bankrupt you. And it does kill and bankrupt people every year. Um, but ultimately, but that the reality that it does kill and bankrupt every year, you know, anyone can experience an accident, anyone can experience an unexpected diagnosis that can cause you to lose your job and so lose your health care. And so uh, people who currently have private insurance would also benefit from not having that fear following them wherever they go. And also, you know, if something were to happen, that um, a change in your health status that prompted a change in your employment status. Um, like if you're working as a carpenter and you get paralyzed and lose, lose the ability to use some of your loans and are no longer able to work as a carpenter. Um, you know, that's a, that's a huge event for you and your family, right? That's gonna change a lot of the way that you live your life and dealing with paperwork and paperwork and paperwork and litigation um, even if you don't end up being uh, bankrupted by it, uh, is, is, to say the least, deeply unpleasant and adds to the trauma. And so, you know, we know that people heal better when their healing process is less um, uh, inundated with stressors. So in that way, yet another reason to not settle for a public option when we could go for single payer is that um, people who currently have private insurance would also benefit. And for the last point, so that leaves the last point, which is a lot of people believe that a public option is more politically viable than single payer. And so we should be um, fighting for that instead. And it's true that this is, um, you know, under insurance and uninsurance are really, really urgent, right? These are urgent issues. And this is not something we can afford to bite our time on. But I would argue that it does not make sense to do public option and then single payer. You know, if we go for the public option, that gets us deeper and deeper down the road of um, our current healthcare insurance uh, system and it entrenches some of these inequities. And also even 
a modest and ineffective healthcare reform like uh, a public option will be so heavily uh, opposed by insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and you know the money and politics that comes with them that it would it would still take a, a broad movement and I would argue that it wouldn't be able to amass the sort of popular support that um, single payer can so instead we should be focusing on our and all our energy on fighting for the thing that's better for everyone um, yeah does anyone else have anything to add I just might jump in saying, you know, the question that a few aspects to the public option is that it wouldn't be universal. It would not cover everybody. It would only, uh, again, provide a piecemeal, small uh, piece of the puzzle. And, you know, that's great. We have bills that have done that and we have some programs that have done that. But, you know, ultimately, we want to get to where we're going to cover everybody. The other thing is the full range of benefits in a public option are dependent on the plan. And many of those plans are skimpy. They're terrible products. Um, so a bronze plan and, and certain ACA products are really terrible. They cover basically nothing. If I have a patient that comes in, they have a bronze plan, um, they're going to have a surprise medical bill. And so we are seeing more and more surprise medical bills. And ultimately, you know, the, the, the health insurance, uh, the problem is the money in the system. And so um, we see health as a commodity and, and not a, a public good. And so this continues to perpetuate um, the, the issue at hand. Um, uh, we're not going to have any savings um, with the public option. We are going to increase our health care costs. And in the state of Oregon, we are spending more comparatively a number of other states where our health care costs are increasing five to six percent per year. And that's something that the state is looking at. And so something that could suddenly happen is that we cut in other sources, right? So that means uh, the budget is set. And so that takes from education, that takes from other um, public safety, um, that takes from other things. And so a public option is a patchwork, you know, it's, it's putting the, the patch on the, the, the tire that's leaking um, and helping people. And, and certainly, you know, that's the last ditch option, but let's continue to push for what we know is going to be the, the solution. Uh, thanks for that additional context, Tony. So another reason that I, I think we're talking about this is that this is not like a fresh from, from zero efforts. Like the, there's, there's already, Healthcare for All Oregon's been around for 20 years. And uh, this task force that uh, has been set out by the state of Oregon was deployed in 2019. And I'm curious, Valdez, can you, can you tell us a little bit about where we stand with that and, and what the task force was about, what we can expect from it, and, and just bring us up to speed if you've never heard of the task force and are unaware of what, what, what that's about? Sure, yeah. So um, what Peter's talking about is the Healthcare for All Oregon task force. And this came about, uh, as I said, in 2019 with Senate Bill 770, which is introduced by Senator James Manning Jr., Army veteran, love that, um, out of Eugene. And basically what Senate Bill 770 was designed to do was to create, um, develop, implement, and monitor a single or, or a uh, uh, publicly funded universal healthcare system here in Oregon. As you know, when you talk to a lot of folks, they always say, you know, well, how are you going to pay for it? And how would that work? And, you know, 
Uh, I like the idea of it. I like the idea of everybody being in, but you know, how would that even work? We live in America, it's a very capitalistic society. You know, do people want government involved in their healthcare delivery? They they ask all these questions, but the big the big one is how are you going to pay for it? And so what the task force is charged with doing is bringing together, and I love this, a coalition of stakeholders and public input from all around the state. And this work is ongoing right now. Um, there's a commu these uh, community advisory uh, committees, the CACs, which are um, going around geographic, uh, you know, everything's on Zoom right now, but, you know, getting uh, diverse input from all around the state and public testimony. Uh, there's about four or five opportunities to do that. Um, one's later this month. And you find out more about that um, when the music starts playing. Um, and then there's also some technical advisory groups where folks like, you know, Tony who are physicians or Travis who are nurses or Elise who are specialists can come together and weigh in from that point of view. But the thing that the, where some of these past attempts have maybe sometimes uh, maybe one of the reasons they, they might not have worked out so well in other other times is because they didn't have that public input. Things were developed by the experts and everything, but there wasn't really that involvement, that grassroots involvement. And one of my favorite quotes is real change happens from the bottom up. And so, you know, when you get that, when you get that input coming in from all over and people in Oregon, Oregonians are shaping, you know, the requirements, you know, what should this look like? If we had universal health care, who would be in? Would, you know, would there be, you know, would you have to be live here for a year? You know, would there be some kind of cost associated? How would, it, you know, all those kind of questions. And that's the hard work that this task force is doing. And right now there is a SB 428 out there if you wanna go look that up. And it's basically to extend the timeline of the important work this is doing. Um, one of the things, like I said, to create, develop, implement and monitor. So how, you know, how would that work? And some of the math that they're doing will be to come up with how you would pay for it. A lot of folks, that's the sticking point for people. Uh, it's gonna be unaffordable. How would we ever be able to do that? The thing is, it's not like, you know, whether we can afford to do it, it's whether we can afford not to do it. Little known fact here, uh, most people don't realize it maybe, but 18% um, of GDP in America goes towards healthcare, gross domestic product. What that basically means is for every dollar spent in the US today, 18 cents of every dollar spent on anything in the US goes towards healthcare. Um, and that's money that's not going towards schools. It's not going to uh, rebuild our broken infrastructure. And as we see with the outages and everything happened with the grid and everything like that needs, you know, um, roads, um, green energy, like all these things that really merit um, investment. Um, money is going to healthcare instead. It's practically bankrupting the Department of Defense. Um, and, and it's happening in states along the way as well. And, and here's the bad thing. 18 cents out of every dollar today, that's only going to go up to 30 cents out of every dollar by 2050. So the, the price of healthcare in America is doing this number. And it's because we do have this very highly fragmented hodgepodge system of healthcare, PPOs and HMOs and federal and county and all kinds of public uh, uh, healthcare deliverers. Luckily for me, you know, in the VA, we have, we are the biggest single integrated healthcare system in America. And because of that, we are able to have that market power in the US with big pharma. And so, whereas big pharma is like charging, you know, uh, $10 a pill here in America and 10 cents in Switzerland, uh, the VA has been able to say, hey, if you want to do business with the VA, this is how much you're going to pay for a drug and not a penny more. And big pharma is like, okay, do I want to miss out on uh, every sailing to every single VA site in the country, which is in every neighborhood from Maine to Manila, or do I want to maybe play ball? They play ball. 
and that's the kind of leverage that, you know, these like a, a state-based system or a nationally, you know, single payer healthcare system would give. It would give the government the, the market power to be able to negotiate and bring down those costs, get the insurance companies out of it, get the middlemen out of it, get that 18 cents dollar down to more like Japan, where it's maybe like nine or 10 cents out of every dollar. Why is it the U.S. pays the most money for healthcare, but some of the least uh, the worst outcomes. Yeah, if you have the money to afford it, if you've got, if you're a big spender, one top one, 2%, you can get all the healthcare you can afford. Yeah, there's some good, there's some good uh, healthcare out there. And we have a lot of great innovative uh, stuff that comes out of the US. But for most Americans, for the 30 million people uh, that are, have no insurance or the 44 million that are underinsured, which is like Tony said, you know, you get this bronze plan. It's the facade of healthcare. It's the facade of peace of mind. It's the, the thinking that, oh my gosh, if I get sick, I'm going to be okay. And then you go, you go to get the care and you get smacked with a big fat bill. Happened to me right after I got out of the army. I went for some dental work. Boom. Took me months to pay it off. So that's what's going on in America. We're paying more. We're getting less. And this task force, SB, the, the Healthcare for Oregon task force is reaching out and looking at how we're going to do it. One last thought on that about how we can't act not to afford. Um, Oregonians want to do this. There was a poll commissioned in 2019, Warren George. He's a Republican out of Corvallis. He wanted to see what Oregonian sentiments were on this. And um, about 70 something percent said, yeah, I'm paying a lot. Or no, they're pay they thought they were paying a reasonable amount for healthcare of the people polled. But like 81% said they would gladly pay a little bit more to make sure that everyone they knew, their family, their friends, the folks at their work, at their church, on their street, everyone in Oregon had access to healthcare. And the money's already there. That's the thing. You don't need to, you know, taxes and this and that. The money is already there in the system. There's too much of it already. It's just going to the wrong places. It's going to the insurance. It's going to the admin costs, like Lee said. So if we just take this task force, rework the model, bring the costs down, get everybody in, nobody out. Um, that's what it's all about. So uh, Senate Bill 428, will get this task force a little bit more time. And uh, also I love HJR, House Joint Resolution 12. Let's call, let's make, let's make healthcare a public good. Just like Tony was saying, talk about a public good. Clean Water Act in 1972 said that water is a public good, that everyone in America should have access to clean water. Let's do that for healthcare. And that's what HJR 12 is doing here locally in Oregon. We will have in the show notes and uh, we'll have a list of these bills that has been referred to just for your reference. Um, so as Valdez alluded to, like the, the math is on our side here. Like the, the plan is viable. Like there is a, there's the political will to at least have to look into it. What would it take to actually pass it other than my, my cat you know, obstructing and like filibustering the, the judiciary or oh, the, the legislature, what would, <laughs> what would, what would it take to, to like actually get this through? Um, Travis, as, as someone who's, who's uh, affiliated with the, with the Democratic Party of Oregon, can you tell us a little about what like it would actually take to get this passed through the legislature? Yeah, just to be clear, Peter, you're asking what it would take to pass um, a, a healthcare plan for Oregon through the state legislature. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yes, okay. yes. Yeah. So, well, um, I think we're slowly but surely getting there. Um, you know, like Valdez was saying, uh, there's this task force that's been established, um, and their work is to figure out how we make a single payer system work in Oregon. I think originally they were supposed to be done this year, um, but there is a bill currently in the legislature. Um, 
that would give the task force until next year to get their work done and to get their report in. Um, uh, you know, there's also momentum behind changing our state constitution to state that healthcare is a human right. And I think that would be another step in that direction as well. Um, hopefully we'll see some substantial movement on Medicare for all at the federal level um, in the not too distant future. But if we don't, we're going to need Medicaid waivers from the federal government in order to implement our own plan here in Oregon. So um, we're taking a lot of really great steps right now. Um, at the end of the day, if we don't get it at the uh, federal level soon, uh, we're really gonna need uh, the Congress to come through with waivers so that states can start to experiment. Uh, you know, there's, there's big moneyed interests in this country that lobby hard, you know, pharmaceutical uh, companies, health insurance companies, they don't want states to be able to um, uh, experiment and be innovative with their Medicaid dollars because they want things to stay exactly how they are. They want the profit to remain in healthcare. Um, and getting the profit out of healthcare would actually help so many people. I mean, imagine if. If when the um, if you had to call the fire department and they showed up and they said we're not going to put up the fire until you put until you give us your copay first, right? We'd never stand for that. Or you know if uh, if something happened and we, we you you needed law enforcement and you called the police and they wanted you to hand over some cash before um, they addressed your issue, um, it makes no sense that we have this much profit in, in our healthcare system. And we need Congress and President Biden to come through on waivers. Uh, if we do not move a Medicare for all, and we're gonna fight tooth and nail to do everything that we can to get it, but we're gonna need the waivers so that states can start to, uh, uh, start to innovate because um, we can get this done at the state level. I, I, I fully agree. I think like there is, there is a path for Oregon to do it. You mentioned the state waivers there was a, a bill in 2019 that I, I think folks should, should realize that some of our Oregon reps, um, Suzanne Bonamici, Pete DeFazio, and Earl Blumenauer are all co-sponsored to, to uh, allow for a federal waiver to, to, to fund a state-based program uh, that hasn't been introduced into, has not been introduced into the 2021 session yet. I, I would expect and hope it, it will be. That is an action we will, we will talk about um, and have, have you call your representative. Um, um, Tony, I know you've, you're familiar with this waiver process as well. Are there any other considerations we should be considering with regards to waivers and, and really why that's necessary? Yeah, I think um, just to make it simple, because this can get very wonky and, and uh, into the weeds real quickly, but you know, I think let's step back a little bit. We all as a country pay taxes, right? And we pay into a pot. And so I think the important feature is to know that all healthcare dollars um, about, so if we put the sum of that together and we look at where that money goes, um, uh, about almost 70% uh, in some shape or form comes from the federal government, right? So that comes through there and that gets it delivered. Uh, and that could be into tax breaks for employers providing insurance. It could be the federal government uh, through the Medicare program or the Medicaid program. Um, uh, and so for a state 
to um, uh, uh, do enactment of a single payer, uh, Medicare for all, local in the state, they need to ask because that money is um, directed through certain channels. And so that channel could be through, again, like the Medicaid program, or it could be the Medicare program, it could be Indian Health Services, it could be through different channels again, right? And so in order to take that pot of money, which comes from our state, it comes from you, it comes from all of us as taxpayers, is uh, for us to say that we're going to take that money. We've done this, and Oregon has been incredibly innovative. You know, when we talk about a great state to live in, Oregon is it because we've done the Oregon Health Plan um, uh, and, and created some uh, great programs out of that. But what these are is a Section 1115 waiver, Section 1332 waiver. And so those allow us to request the federal government say, hey, we're going to take those dollars that we send here and we want to put them into a program. So just as Travis was kind of saying that. Um, so those are just some things we need to think about. There are also something called the RISA, um, uh, which is a whole challenging scenario, but um, uh, some protections that we need to maneuver. And that's the important work of uh, uh, the Universal Task Force um, uh, that we talked about out of Senate Bill 7070. They need to do that work and we do need to kind of help support them. So what I do want to backtrack a little bit to say that that Senate Bill 428 in Oregon, we need to support that because COVID um, uh, delayed the start of the really fundamental work of, of the task force uh, work to do this in analysis and investigation so that they can complete it. So we don't shortchange that work because we don't want to do some plan that isn't well thought out by experts and um, uh, uh, doing the, the legwork on that. So that's a good transition, I think, to the actionability part of, of this. Um, so I put together a resource through my organization, uh, the Organ Action Network, that is all about healthcare for all. I will put this in, in the chat in just a sec, but um, this has, oh gosh, <laughs> this has uh, some actions that we've taken here um, that we've, we've done in coordination with Healthcare for All Oregon and the Portland DSA. And what Travis, sorry, but what Tony was just talking about was the congressional action needed to get these waivers passed. And what I'm asking you to do tonight is to, to go to this page and I'm just gonna drop it in the Twitch chat right now. And if you can go to this and, and actually click Congress, contact your Congressperson, it'll bring you to a page where you can look up your state legislator, or sorry, your, your Congressperson, and it has some instructions as to how to reach out to them. And just a quick survey about whether you reached out. The goal is to, to do this tonight. Like while you're hyped up and motivated and listening to tunes in just a few minutes, to go on, on the side and, and look up who, who your congressperson is, leave them a message. They listen to all their messages. They keep tallies of who's calling about these issues. It's important that you call and, and let, let them know what is needed. Um, secondly, there's also the state legislature actions that we have here as well. So as Travis mentioned, the clearest path to getting this, this through is, is passing the Oregon Healthcare for All plan. Um, through the state legislature. And um, even though like the, the task force is, is, is in motion, we need to make sure it's renewed. We need to make sure that 
our, our state legislatures know that this is important, contact them, let them know that this is what we need. So again, this, the same drill, click through, find your representative, there's some instructions here and just let, just drop their name in. Um, we'll, be, we'll be actually counting these actions and celebrating them. Um, and then this last one, we haven't really talked about this. So it, it's great to let your, your representatives know that like you care, like that's important, but really like this is, this is a, a big enough thing that it's gonna require a bigger movement. It's gonna require more people to know this issue is not really being talked about. You know, there's so many things happening in the world right now. Like this, this is like not the top thing that folks are talking about because this is just what we've been used to. Like this mess of our system is just typical. And that's what we've, it's what we've lived with our entire lives. And it's just not newsworthy. So we need to like talk about this. And, and uh, that's, that's one of the things that I, I really admire about the Democratic Socialists of America is that they really are building a, a youth uh, movement to, to talk about issues like this. And uh, I, for those of you who, do, who don't know what the Democratic Socialists of America are, Elise, can you maybe explain a little about what they do and what the current actions are that are, are being taken to, to broaden the, uh, the, the knowledge of, of healthcare for all? Absolutely. Just in time for you to turn off the mic so the cat can be silenced. <laughs> yeah, so the DSA is a big tent left organization. Um, so we've, we've got all sorts of all sorts of people who are com really committed to building a better world. And a really central part of that for um, DSA National and also for the Portland chapter is Medicare for All. And so coming up, we have we have an event coming up. One of the things we do is we do monthly Rise Up for Medicare for All rallies. Um, we've been doing them in pandemic safe COVID rallies. Um, so whether virtual or in-person distanced, encouraging people to go onto street corners in their communities with signs and just raising awareness in our communities about um, how important this issue is and just creating a really visible movement in the Portland metro area for Medicare for All. So coming up, we've got we've got a distanced rally coming up on March 13th. Get out your calendars, get out your Google calendar if you're like me. Um, so we've got a distanced Medicare for All rally coming up on Saturday, March 13th, 4 p.m. at Pioneer Square. Bring a sign, bring a mask, bring a friend. Uh, if you don't have a friend or a sign, we can we can provide those. Uh, we may even have some extra masks, but you should you should still wear one down there. You can RSVP for that March thirteenth rally on this this web page, which again I will drop into the chat. Um, yeah, just just enter in your email, and, and you will be notified about the details. Again, it's at four p.m. at Pioneer Square on the thirteenth. Um, and the last action I wanted to, to present is just to contact your friends and, and let them know about, about this, this measure, about the need to continue to push for Medicare for all, that it didn't end at the end of the Democratic primary. Like this is, this is still a thing that we have, just like Oregon was the first to prove the model of voting by mail, to prove the model of decriminalizing cannabis and soon to prove the model of decriminalizing drugs. Like we can be the first to, to do this, to have a single payer healthcare system. It's already in motion. This is an incredibly impactful thing that we can do as, as Oregonians. I think there's a lot of helplessness folks feel. They, they'd like to think that the, the solution to, to 
America's problems lie in the red states. And it's, we, we have our own stuff we can be doing right here. And it's important to, to focus on, on that. We have incredible opportunities. So with that, I would just encourage everybody to contact their friends about this, send them a link to this page. It has resources. It's gonna have a recording of this conversation. It has all the, the information about the actions they can take. And if you do that, just fill out a form, just let, let us know how you, how you, you contacted them. Um, one of the things that we're gonna try to do is, during this music portion of the event is just to, to, to uh, encourage us to actually do this. I, I know like everybody is busy, they forget to do it. Actually go in and fill out and actually contact your congressperson, whether, you, whether it's now, um, you know, now, now is the best time, but also if you're listening to this, uh, this panel discussion on a, on a podcast, still do it, look in the show notes, this is important that you, that you do it. And there's, there's no better time to do it than right now. I'm just gonna drop it once again in the chat. Um, and just for some background about what the Organ Action Network is, it's, it's, it's a network of, of like-minded uh, progressive organizations that are coming together to, to, to do issue advocacy. Um, that makes sense for the entire state of Oregon, not just uh, the Portland area. And there's actually one, one thing I wanted to, to get to that I think is, is kind of a, a so in the field I'm talking about enough, people, people think that Medicare for all or single payer healthcare is like this urban pipe dream when really it's the rural communities of the state like uh, that stand to benefit the most from this. And I, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, Tony, um, as someone who, who's a, a medical practitioner in a rural area of the state. Can you, can you speak to how like this is actually a viable issue out there? Oh, incredibly important, you know, and again, this issue shouldn't be on one side of the aisle or the other, it affects everybody, right? Um, you know, we look at rural health, uh, about 25% of rural communities are uninsured, so it's a higher proportion comparatively to urban areas. Um, we're seeing um, with the consolidation of care, uh, we're seeing a number of rural hospitals close secondary because it's not profitable, right? And so our ability to decide where is the public good um, is washed away because when profits are in front of that, um, that's the issue at hand. So um, rural health, you know, um, it, it's tough to recruit. It's tough for me to hire providers. Um, uh, it, it's tough to uh, have patients uh, travel to a place where they can get ready access care. Most um, uh, rural citizens have to travel over 30 miles to get to a clinic. Uh, in certain parts. And in, in Oregon, we have a pretty rural community on the east side. Um, so this is a really important issue and why Medicare for All would, would support those communities um, and uh, really need to just continue to push forward for multiple reasons, and this being one of them. And Peter, you know, with the rural Oregonians uh, and folks in rural areas being underserved, I mean, that's, again, the work of this task force, part of it is figuring out the, the financials, but the big part of it is just coming at it with shared, agreed upon principles, purposes, and values. And those are to get healthcare to everyone, regardless of your, your ability to pay, get to underserved areas, to underserved communities. And that's why this community input coming in from the rural areas is going to be so important to making sure that this is a system that doesn't just serve Portland and Salem and Medford, but all the state. And, you know, with it being Black History Month, one of my favorite Martin Luther King quotes, my favorite quote is, um, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. And so 
that's what this task force is about is getting healthcare for all to all Oregon's, regardless of where you live, regardless of your race, regardless of your um, ability to pay. And that's why um, I really just want to encourage everyone here. If that resonates with you, making sure that nobody else dies because they can't get healthcare, that nobody's leading a half-life because they are, you know, living without healthcare, struggling, getting bankrupted by uh, medical billing, please go to www.hcao.org, hcao.org, and please sign our statement of support for Healthcare for All Oregon here, and please do consider becoming a member. Peter, just want to take this time to thank you for, for having us. Really appreciate this opportunity, and, and thank you, everybody, uh, at the event. Um, this is an incredible conversation, but you know, again, kind of my comments really take that story, take what you believe in and, and put it to action today. You know, have fun tonight, listen to the tunes, um, but please do take action. And if, if you can, I'm just going to be selfish and plug healthcareforalloregon.org again. I'm a board member because I believe in it and I believe we're going to we're going to push um, uh, the task force and, and get us to where we need in this state. Well, thank you all at Healthcare for All Oregon for doing the great work you're doing. And I would just encourage everyone to, to not, not not just not just uh, take these actions, but but if you can, yeah, consider getting involved or, or contributing to to these organizations like Healthcare for All Oregon and the, and the DSA who are who are fighting the good fight and and uh, building the movement that we need to make a big change like this happen. Um, as I mentioned at the start of this talk. The absence of healthcare for all is—it's like we're having a pandemic every seven years. You know, like that's the scale of this thing, and we're just—we're just used to it because it's the way it's always been. Uh, we can—we can figure this out. This is not uh, like some gravity problem that we're never going to be able to counteract. Like there are models for this. We can do it, and uh, there's ne like there's never been. It, it, the movement to secure health care for all has never been in a better spot than it is right now. So, yeah, I, th I think at this point we're going to transition over to to Holocene. Thank you, everybody, for fellow panelists for being a part of this. Really appreciate everybody's time. And uh, next musical guest we have up is, is Theory Has It, and really excited about that performance. Again, thank you again, everybody, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Awesome. And have fun tonight, everybody. Has it. Has it. Has it. Has have it, a good time. Has it. Has it. Has it. Has it. Thank <laughs> you.
dope on the Pyrex. They got fiends lifting designer eye specs like Jasmine Guy X. Before they catch the blast, that's high text and quali song. I flip it upside down. This is not a ground, it's where the skies belong. Just don't question if your eyes see wrong. That's all me. I'll crisscross you for a small fee. Or give you the tall tee and back with overalls free. I'm on a shopping mall spree. Cause your outfit is cut from a cloth that's not about it. I put them on, I keep a foot upon. Somebody had cause somebody said they was dope with excitement. After I ball, put a speak up, they catching a sentence. Both go down for the indictment. I might rent the space in the mind of your main woman. If she on the way, just know that you watch and chain coming. There's no one who can rival the thoughts of my brain summon. And I heard I ways band-aids, pills for pain numbing. The smack it's like a gorilla pimp's back smack. A government Mac Cack, LAPD's blackjack until it start a riot. Many get slaughtered by it. Just that fire you couldn't put out with a water hydrant.
say fork. Hip hop is a monster eating up all the genres. The two turntables, I crash party at opera. Seven ahead of RB with heavy metal. I threw a rock at your glass house and heard echoes. You weak, me and Ebony is up in the place. How you SWV when we in WA? Pass the collection plate, pass the need new Tim's to stomp a mud hole in the next and see who sins. You soft serve, you should come in a cup with pastel spoons. Y'all rappers make me miss Slim Calhoun. And you can keep your little tracks without drums. I'ma resurrect. Young nasty knives and have them clapping at lunch. Pull up in a DeLorean and leave you in 1992. Before the woo and Diddy with them shiny suits. Diddy has it, nah, Diddy really is. Y'all singing, rapping, and acting. Y'all some Disney kids. I came out swinging, left the game in stitches. I tried to pass the torch, but all I did was burn bridges. Behind bars, I do a firm sentence. Put the song on repeat and let it earn interest. Yeah, whatever, but you know what we could say. The very thing that will fuck up you a good day. But we don't give a fuck, you know how the hood play. Well, it's like we died and we stuck in the good place.
A lot of frauds might get punched in their mouth. Your favorite MC and bring the light. I draw, I draw first blood. It's over with in that stack. So you can feel the rap. We all in the same frequency. Understand what I'm saying, saying, saying.
thank you very much to niggas that rejected. They wrote me about whatever, tell me how's riding the bus. Jealousy ain't help you, aided me and it dealt you. A bad hand going hard at your salty soft Augusta. So thank you very much for never showing love. You saw me on 106, now I'm the shit to you, huh? Say with success, the most stress from niggas where you from. My name in your mouth, guess I really made it down, huh? So thank you, thank you much, be much for purchasing that sauce. To feel more sore for not supporting with Like divorce, they pay me alimony, alimony Sleeping around on me, what's your choice? So thank you very much for those who wanna pay me But want a verse from me, it ain't getting no cheaper for you, baby I'm at the bar clay, nowadays you fucking crazy You niggas slay me, I got a house payment, bitch, nigga Thank you very much
Touch if it fades, I just play the beat again. They was on the need to know. I've been on the need to win. The flavor's only fresh as the Tupperware that you keep it in. Tucking in the suffering and learn to keep it moving. Let it have its full effect, cause my patience just needs improving. Juggling this fruit in the air before it was bruising. While I'm turning up the gain and count the blessings where I'm losing. Check it out. Read my soup coolers. Your wisdom cannot wisdom God's foolishness. You foolish. Flung mud in your eye and you thought that it was sewage. Can't school you if you truant. I'ma still do it if you Judas though. This verse is my baby. Born to be wild. You can say I'm a new parent. You ain't touching my child. My catalog is Agalaw and Adderall. It ain't nothing to battle y'all. Just make sure you have the money cause you giving it to me. Cash. There ain't no competition, only inspiration. Facts. It ain't no one-on-ones, only assassinations. Facts. And everything they talk about sound like procrastination. There's mud in your eye. I love it down here. Affirmation. So you bugging. Toxic with the mindset of a victim. Narcissistic impact. You been trash. Y'all made fun of me, so I tricked y'all into loving me. Iller than your favorite rap group. It's only one of me with Crumb. Mary Joseph, son of Big Pun. The OG gave the green light. Now we just having fun. If I was you, I'd run. 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 Run.
If I wanted to, I could do an album in a week. I'm theory has it. I do this in my sleep. I probably do this in my casket. One thing's for sure that your love is pure magic. But I'm working on myself, baby. Sorry, you're a distraction. My inbox popping, the bags keep dropping, the beats beat knocking. Who's the author? Ooh, he hotter than your average. Put me up against whoever. Just make sure they make their own beats and write their own obituaries. If you're not talking bread, then I'm not concerned. I gotta keep my daughters fed with that hard to earn. Cause it's my calling and I'm all in while I'm managing my time. And if I don't complete this song, I just might leave it all behind me. But this is meant to be. This is meant for me. Taste to see that the Lord is G. He's with me. I mean, I'm with him. If that's so, you in tune to me. Spitting lots of phlegm. He looks here and you ain't seen the author be watching 10. 13 years ain't it funny. I feel like I'm in my prime. For the longest time, I couldn't rhyme to my own drum line. Already had the kick snare. I had dissected in my mind. Now all I got is time. So get in line or get left behind. I can shoot a movie in a week. I'm theory has it. I do this in my sleep. I probably do this in my cast. One thing's for sure is that I have plenty of practice. If you ain't trying to match this, you say. Make love, making out and break up Saving every pay stub from the God of Jacob and Moses Decompose till the book closes Off the chain, off the hook, slash the axle roses Bang, bang, if you can't hang, you can't force it The ones that's too full of themselves never absorbed it Lose your earth's fortune when you're forced to forfeit The flow's too fly, fell face first in orbit A-literate, A-game acidic It breaks down the physical, born twice to fit it It's face mask, we done went way past the penalty Think fast and wisdom, the straight paths ahead of me Gorgeous, show me where the mics and the causes I'ma show you everything in the world that rhymes with oranges From intros to verses to the bridge and the chorus Slinging five smooth stones on the side where the Lord is Get it in on the uncircumcised Philistinian Talking through the fleece of Gideon, but was it really him? Lapping up the water like Like an animal, a human being Acting how I wanna, but I'm rapping how I really mean Drinking aqua from the grotto, sprung a bottle of Moscato, post a spirit upon the terror, pour me vado. Something single mother earth could try to gargle. Too many trees, too many leaves to hide the forest. Too many words in the speech, we just like the chorus. We need hits. Something that the kids dig. Little money for the big wigs. That's Illuminati pockets. Man, I told you I was gonna get this money just like a profit. Tabernacle, mosh pit. Hey, I rock an altar, drop a mic, and then I dive in the pew. The Got you looking jealous cause I'm live in you And if you are what you eat And they spiking the food you might be fake Put the G in GMO a fault. I'm dropping something five second rule Pick up the flow Yo, throwing on my forehead from kissing the rose And Joseph had a coochie Don't be dissing my clothes For nothing that man can make Is mightier than the forces of the universe You, you Crazy, 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 crazy,
Hey yo, trick call me, the Swiss army knife in my hand. Take my click corny, but we will end the life of your fan. People know Sean nice with the hands. Watch me punch up your face, dig in your pocket, lick you right where you stand. Uh, dom chick that live in Japan. Black belt turn tricks, chop bricks with a hand. Arigato, Sean Bright slick like Elgato. Three piece suit in the booth and shoot bike, smack. Now your knees to scrape them Feel clutch tools and bust Got your thinking Sean P and the bus Sean P, numero uno, all time great New York, the NC, do it all right Stay quiet Coast to coast, we travel the land Left footprints and grains of sand It's Sean P